Every minute, every moment counts. Hello, I'm Julie Hyde, and I understand what it takes to make these moments count for leadership, business, and your life. This podcast will deliver insights and game-changing leadership moments that will allow you to level up and shine a light for those around you. Let's get into today's episode. with the incredible Michelle Cox. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julie. I'm so excited to be here and chat to you today. Michelle was a previous global CEO, COO and board director. And Michelle has owned, founded and headed up many companies in her 25 years in the corporate world. She was an elite athlete in her youth and she's won awards in sport as well as business and personally overcome cervical cancer an adult orphan who has not only dealt with her own mortality, but endured great loss from a young age. And she's an eternal optimist and a strong believer that things happen to you for a reason. And she's really passionate about living an unconventional life and helping others to live a life that's right for them. Michelle has a podcast around uncomfortable conversations called One Question and recently wrote three books under the name The Wabi Sabi Series. And this is what I'm super keen on digging deeper with uh, Michelle on today. So I thought before we kick off into the one question that I'm really keen to talk to you about is I'd love you to share with our listeners a bit more about you and your life-changing moment that led you to creating what you call your unconventional life that really works for you now? Yeah, great question. I don't know if I can answer it succinctly, but um, my uh, career over yeah 25 plus years has been um, mostly in the corporate world. And um, I've done everything, as I said, you, from your introduction there, from being a CEO of companies to um, head of marketing for you know, mostly tourism businesses. So for 20 plus years, I've been in um, tourism. I started out in the health and wellness sector I went to university in Melbourne, which took me then to overseas and then sort of changed my life a bit then as I learned about the university of life, as I call it, which is what uh, travel is to me, and learning about other cultures and other, you know, ways of life and also appreciating how lucky we are in Australia. I think that was a a really good thing for me as a very, you know, from a very young age, travelling abroad and and travelling by myself out there as a young woman. And then, uh, yeah, all through my career, I guess the common thread has always been around, you know, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. So, you know, anything I've done, I've sort of been given an opportunity, I've identified that, oh, that sounds fantastic, it feels right in my gut, which is another key thing I have had to learn over the years is trust your instincts um, more than your head. And I'm a very big thinker. So I tend to, you know, think through a great crisis manager and and, um, think through all the options and the things that can go wrong. But I have to kind of bring it back and go, well, how does it actually feel in my body? And is this a hell yes or a um, hell no? So, uh, you know, going with that throughout my life, that led me to some amazing experiences and, you know, living all throughout Australia from I'm from Melbourne originally. I live uh, in the last 20 years, I've sort of lived in Sydney. I've worked in London. I've lived in Texas. I've lived in Alice Springs. I ran uh, resorts and hotels there for six years. So I've had a really diverse and broad career. But in the last sort of three years, I identified that I wanted to do something different. And in terms of my defining moment, I mean, if I step back to I've had quite a few. I've had a lot of loss and that's where the books came from. I've uh, dealt with a significant amount of death in my life. So I wrote 
a book called Death Doesn't Have to Be Morbid. And I sat down and wrote that at 47 and realised as I counted up all the funerals I'd been to, there were more than 27 funerals. And I thought, wow, that's a lot for a young person. And two of those funerals I had to arrange, which were my mother and my father. Um, And they died 10 years apart, both very young. You know, it sort of has driven me all my life to ensure that I, you know, we only have this one life or um, if you don't believe in past lives, which is a whole other conversation. But, uh, you know, it's we need to make the most of it. And as you said again in the intro, I, um, I'm a big believer that you are the driver of your destiny. You are the person, you know, you can't help always what happens to you, but you can certainly help how you choose to use that information to, you know, deal with it, to navigate your life, you know, under adversity and complexity. And so that's probably something I think I'm quite good at is uh, overcoming adversity and not letting it hold me back. And so then, um, yeah, I wrote another book around uh, called Doctors Are Not Gods and that was to do with a cancer journey. So I had a first bout of cancer at 29, um, my second uh, more serious bout at 31 which is where I had um, a radical hysterectomy and which basically means all your you know, main reproductive organs and everything removed and a tumour the size of a small football taken out of me. And that was a you know, pretty significant change in my life and made me then reevaluate everything I wanted to do. One of the things then that I you know, realised is how much I love my job, how much I love to do what I do to you know, influence, to inspire, to motivate others, you know, a bit of a born leader, I think. So that helped me then get on that trajectory to do bigger things with my life and my career. And uh, yeah, I've been nonstop ever since, I guess. <laughs> You've experienced such um, tragedy, you know, at a really young age, losing your parents and then going through your own cancer journey and that happening to you, like that's obviously incredibly traumatic and life-changing moments sort of on a dime there, you know, which led you to understanding how much you loved what you did in terms of a job. So it's like finding that purpose there, which is really fantastic. So you threw yourself into that. Was that the point in time when you went, okay, this has happened to me, my life has changed, it's not necessarily how I absolutely wanted it to be is that when you went okay I'm going to make a decision to live a life on my terms was that then or was it a bit later on that you decided to change and live in complete alignment with what you wanted to do in and doing that real hell yes and hell no like was that a practice thing is that something you honed from those moments in time I can't say it was conscious at the time if I'm honest and I think Though to understand, you know, as I've kind of done a lot of work over the years to understand myself as a person and for me to understand myself, I am a curious soul. So I love to learn. I love to challenge things. I was one of those annoying kids that, you know, second child out of four. I would always ask those questions and drive my parents batty, you know, like, well, why do we have to do this and how does it work? And, you know, what helped me understand, you know, because it just is a fundamentally curious kid and I'm a lifelong learner. I'm continuously learning new things, continuously challenging myself. And, you know, I just love that about life. I just feel that I'm fundamentally here to learn as much as I can. And as a woman in this particular age and stage, 
in this moment in time, like there is some significant things going on that, you know, our grandmothers and even our mothers couldn't probably do or achieve. And, you know, there's a sense of responsibility almost in my soul about making the most of this moment in time too. And I feel that, you know, I've got a lot to do and a lot to achieve and I do it with a you know, a bit of fun and joy as well. Like it's, you know, I don't achieve things to, for others. It's, it's around my own self-interest or, you know, things that I want to, to conquer, learn, master. And so I think when, you know, the cancer journey, when I sort of came out of that 31, obviously I'd had a bit of a, a spell there that I had to get well. It was, pretty serious I was admitted you know I sort of found out at seven o'clock at night that um uh the how serious the cancer were like well what had happened to me I'd, I'd if I back up there I'd gone through a journey of nine months of being misdiagnosed and that's where the book Doctors Are Not Gods comes from because you know we need to take more responsibility for our own health and well-being and I didn't at that stage, I um, handed it all over to health professionals and lost my power. And um, as much as I hold the doctor responsible for me now not being able to have children, I um, have to take that responsibility for myself as well because I didn't take other action and I should have. I should have got a second opinion. I should have got a third opinion because the doctor was negligent. So after I'd gone through that journey, then literally got a phone call at seven o'clock at night. I'm in Darwin for work and um, I had to get on a midnight flight and I was operated on eight o'clock the next morning in Sydney. And um, yeah, it was pretty serious. So it took me, you know, probably three to six months to recover. I was lucky that I, you know, they got it in one hit. So they're removing the tumor. I didn't have to have radiotherapy and I didn't have to have chemo. So that was a blessing, you know, you always, I always look for the silver linings on stuff. And that to me, I was like, okay, you know, it could have been worse. And I'd gone through that with my mom. She had breast cancer. So I'd seen, you know, that 18 month journey of what she'd had happened to her. So I felt very lucky that that wasn't my journey, which was great, but it made me really reassess. And then, you know, a dream at 31 that I always thought that I would have children at some stage was obviously crushed and taken away from me. You know, I reassessed things and I thought, well, I really love what I do. I love my job. I love what I, you know, work to me is not, it's not just a, you know, an income bringer. It's actually a fulfillment of life. It's where I learn. It's where I meet amazing people. It's where I can actually have a, an influence in life. And so I think I probably became more purposeful about work and career and things in that regard but not to say I wasn't before because I was pretty you know I was running big companies and as a young woman I was doing some pretty big things but um, I, I think I probably became more deliberate from then on in and then what's happened I think in the last it's probably a movement that's happened in the last 10 years where I've become you know as I'm sort of fastly approaching uh, 50 I started to look at things a bit differently as well and thought actually I need to take more control of my life and stop worrying about what other people think about me and you would think you know people like us that go through you know you look down that barrel of your life and death and um, if you've had that sort of mortality kind of stuff thrown at you then you would think that you wouldn't give a shit about what other people think. And I know fundamentally deep in my heart and soul I don't. But on a daily basis, you know, in different work situations and as a female executive that has mostly worked beside many men, it's tough, you know. It, it's it's not been an easy ride. And um, so there's, you know, I'm like any other human where you have self-doubt, there's imposter syndrome, all those elements. And I think you know, slowly I started to, you know, regain my power and and start to really sit in that and live that. 
And so three years ago, I left an employed position full-time. It was an agency. I sort of decided to diversify from tourism and work in a comms agency. And um, it was time then for me to start to do something a bit differently. I became a non-executive director on boards and things. And I started to do some more creative things and started to tap in a whole other side to me that I'd never really let flourish. And that's now, like in the last probably two years, which is ironic given the COVID timeframe, is where I've really flourished and actually really found ultimate joy in life and all the mishmash of things that I do every day. I love that. And I just love that you're so creative as well. I just admire that so much, like with your ceramics and your candles. And I also really thank you, I suppose, and admire you and for you leading a conversation that I've also been quite passionate about. And that's about not having children and links in with one of your books. It's okay not to have kids. And obviously this is a conversation that you've been leading through your unfortunate um, situation where you can't have children. And through people thinking it's okay to ask women why they don't have kids. I've always been wanting to have a conversation about this, but haven't been brave enough. So (laughs) this is where I'm very grateful to you. I'm in my 50s now, and yet I still get asked the question, do you have kids? No. Oh, why not? You've missed out on the most fulfilling opportunity of your whole life. Like you cannot love anything more than you love your kids. And, you know, those types of comments, they do piss me off because it's like, how do you know that? Like that's a big judgment call for you to make on my life. And there was one stat that I read in your book that I thought was really interesting, which is in um, 2023, well, the years in 2023 to 2029, there's going to be more people or, you know, couples living without children than there will be with families. And that was according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, I believe. So, Michelle, please. Talk to me more about that and, you know, what really ignited that passion because it is a question that I wish people would ask less of. I started talking about this topic and the first time I spoke about it was on the TED stage and they do, um, it was in the, you know, when it was TEDx in Sydney of all places, two and a half thousand people at the Opera House. And they do a uh, little section that's called Fast Talks and you can submit uh, topic to do a fast talk and you've got to get your point across in 60 seconds which is tough like it's got to be short sharp fast and I stood on the stage and I said it's okay for people to not have kids you know it's okay for us all to not have kids and we're more than our parental status and that's sort of sort of you know the byline of my book it's a subtitle because so many of my friends and you know, mates over the years that do have children, you know, this whole kind of living for your children and actually then losing their kind of way once the kids kind of get older and working out, well, what's my role as a mother or a father and where do I fit in this? And, you know, like my kids don't appreciate all the things that kind of go on with um, being a parent as well. So I wanted to address that too and um, my sort of observations that I'd sort of watched and seen and experienced over the years. But fundamentally, I you know, stood up there and I said, I have so many friends that are trying to navigate this. They've either, you know, had 10 rounds of IVF and have not been successful or they're not particularly maternal or they are, you know, gay couples that are trying to navigate that space of whether they do or don't have children or they haven't met the right partner yet. 
um, or fundamentally they know in their heart that they're not interested to have, they're not, you know, they don't want to have kids and, you know, that's okay. Or as I'd sort of learned through my research of writing the book, I met lots of people now that make conscious decisions to not have children from an environmental and a population aspect and their impact on the world, which is, you know, such a bigger whole other topic. And I said, and then you've got people like me who had that decision made for them. And so, you know, my first bout of cancer was 29 and, you know, it was horrendous. I was in my first marriage and I always wanted to have children. We'd, I'd gone off the pill twice to try and then other circumstances sort of happened and I went back on the pill and it wasn't the right timing. And he wasn't particularly concerned about the fact that like, okay, my time's running out. I've had a first count, you know, first bout of cervical cancer. And the doctor said, the oncologist was like, well, if you want kids, you need to start trying. And he was a bit disinterested. And so then that was a breakdown in our marriage that fundamentally I wanted to have kids and he didn't. So, you know, well, then our marriage broke up and, you know, I went on <laughs> my own kind of journey then. And then I met, you know, six months, nine months later or so, I met my now husband and Dennis and I've been together for 20 years. So, um, and he had his own children. He had two boys when we first met. And so that was a bit stressful for me because I thought, well, I've already gone through this sort of stuff. And we were only together for, I think, about nine months when I got sick. So that was my second bout at 31. And yet here I'd gone through this traumatic experience and um, had come out the other side because of my attitude and the fact that, you know, I didn't let my cancer define me. And I thought, right, I'm going to get on with my life. But as a corporate woman that was climbing the ladder and I was a CEO of a couple of big companies, you know, one stage I was the CEO of STA Travel, which, you know, had 650 staff ran Asia Pacific. And so a lot of young staff and people made an assumption that I chose to be a career woman and I chose that life over having children. That used to really piss me off. And I was like, how dare you make an assumption about that? And so people would say stuff to me that was quite horrendous. And, you know, I've met a lot of other people since that have said, well, I've never had that said to me. I mean, it's interesting, as you say, you have. I wrote a whole chapter about it in the book, (laughs) Shit People Say, you know, and it's some of those things that you alluded to before. People are really cruel in that regard, but they don't even realise how hurtful it is when they ask a question. So, you know, why don't you have kids? And I say, oh, I've got stepchildren. But didn't you want your own? did you ever try for your own? I'm like, whoa, I've just met you. You know, that used to, it was just dumbfounding to me. And so then I started to ask people because I'm a bit, you know, cheeky and like to ask those uncomfortable questions. That's why I started a whole podcast around that. I'd say back, so why did you have children? You're sitting here asking me, why didn't I have them? But did you really, really think about why you had children? And that really kind of throws people off because most people didn't even think about it. It was a societal thing. Like if they truly sit down and sit in their heart and go, why did I have kids? Well, because it was expected of me or that was just the next thing to do or my parents put the pressure on me or, you know, whatever, all the 50 million reasons you can come up with. Some people it is because they fundamentally knew that they deep in their heart they had to have children and their maternal or paternal, you know, wanted to desperately have kids. But that's not everyone's case. And again, as people I interviewed for the book confided in me and were brutally honest and said, I wish I never had them. I love my kids, but I never wanted children. It was forced upon me. And so it started to, you know, have that conversation to say, just because this life is right for you doesn't mean it's right for everyone or it's right for me. And, you know, you could not live, breathe, eat, sleep, whatever. You had to have children in your life. And I get that, but maybe that's not what my path is. And that is absolutely okay. 
And so what I wanted to challenge people in all the books and the conversations I started to have was, you know, the more we understand the differences in life and the different ways that we can live and, you know, have unconventional lives as such, the more we can live more harmoniously, I guess, you know, that we go, okay, it's okay that you don't have kids. I'm still going to invite you to my kid's party. Because actually it's really hurtful when you don't get invited because they go, oh, you don't have kids, you're not going to want to come. I'm like, I love children. Like I love kids. I'm surrounded by them. I have many God kids in my life and, you know, don't make that assumption on others as well. But I think the critical thing is to um, stop the conversation, like in the sense of stop asking people that. Literally was at a conference a couple of weeks ago and I said to them all after the first day, I'm like, every one of you around the table, all you've talked about is kids and all of you have asked me about kids and this and that. You're more than your parental status. You know, you guys are excited because you're away from your kids. And this was men and women. There's more to life than this, you know. And actually, interestingly, we're here. It's a business conference. Let's talk about other stuff. Like, it's fascinating to me. So um, until people uh, realise that that's a challenge and it can be hurtful for others, I think um, that will keep happening until we educate them better. Yes, absolutely, which is why I'm really glad that you're leading that conversation. And um, because like you say, people do tend to ask the question quite unconsciously. I suppose, you know, we were speaking about unconscious bias. It's um, really challenging that you don't know what other people are going through at any given time. So, you know, and what their journey has been and where the scars are and where people can be triggered. So it's just being really conscious of forcing our map of our own world and our own expectations onto others. And I think, you know, people, we do tend to look at things through our own lens and that's where I feel that we need to be challenged in that regard. And, you know, major movements like Black Lives Matter and, you know, us getting more educated about that as privileged white people. Like, you know, the more we can educate ourselves and read and understand, as you say, our unconscious biases, but extends in so many ways in our lives these days. And for me, it's about that higher understanding and empathy and, you know, having compassion for others that leave a really different life to me. And how can I understand that more? So the more, again, that I can be on their page and and work with them, the better I can be in the sort of work I do, whether that's, you know, inspiring or motivating or um, helping others to be better themselves. So that, you know, now extends, as I said, into the kind of career and the work I do. So I literally sit on four boards. So I'm a non-executive director. Uh, Two of those are ASX listed. So they're, you know, very corporate, professional, high-end positions. And then I have a podcast, the books, I do speaking on these sort of topics and then I have a pottery business and a um, <laughs> and a maker's studio, which is so contrast <laughs> for my days. But again, I'm trying to break that mould of saying that, yes, I can be a professional, you know, woman with big players and sit around a board table with nine blokes over 55 and go in the afternoon and make amazing, beautiful pots that give me such joy when people buy them and and take them to their homes and feel that energy and the love that I've given in a piece of clay that then they now ruminates into their house. So neither of those is more important. Neither of those, you know, should be more highly regarded in the business world. They're all businesses. My pottery business is now a very viable pottery business, which I'm now sort of expanding into lots of other things. And I never imagined it would be that. I started literally just to make my own dinner set. (laughs) But clearly when you're passionate about stuff, it just, um, it flows, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love your curiosity and the fact that you are really challenging the status quo about what is the norm and, um, you know, creating that and role modeling the way for others to see what there are opportunities for them as well. You know, if they've had this dream and thought, oh, I can't do that, oh, no, I can see Michelle doing that and it's working. So while I would love to speak to you for the rest of the afternoon, Michelle, I know you're very (laughs) focused on what you've got to do. You know, the podcast is called Making It Count and it's very obvious to me and I'm sure people listening how you are making it count in your world and for others. So I'm really keen to hear about potentially what's next for Michelle and how are you looking to make it count even more so? Well, I'm literally at a at a real um, pivotal point right now because I love the contrast of what I do when I talk about the board work and then the creative side. So, you know, I, I use the term a corporate term creative because I've always been creative within, but that has only really ever come out in a marketing sense because in the corporate world, that's kind of the only outlet I had. And so when I let this really flow and um, fully breathe into it and immerse and actually dove into it, I guess, through throughout kind of lockdown and stuff as well with no inhibitions and nothing kind of holding me back and no expectations. I think that was kind of the key thing. These beautiful things have flowed from that. So I'm about to launch a new podcast, which is around pottery, but it's actually around the business of pottery because I've only been doing ceramics for about 18 months, which given how much I'm selling, I think people get a bit shocked at. And I do a lot of uh, tableware and dinner sets and things like that that um, are getting into more and more homes, which I'm super proud about. But it just, again, it's spreading that love of things that I'm making that people are eating off every day. So it brings me a lot of joy. You know, I know business for 25 years. I've been running big corporate businesses. And what I see with a lot of creatives, they're very good at what they do. They're makers of their craft, incredibly talented, but they're not that great at running a business. And so um, the people have kind of reached out to me in the last sort of year or so while I've had these little companies is around, well, how do you do this? And how do you do pricing? And how do you do product? And what do you do here? And all these kind of questions and um, sort of been mentoring a couple of people in this space. And so there's a huge opportunity there. So the next stage is about me giving back more. You know, podcasts, as you know, are, are philanthropic things. We don't make any money from these. It's around having conversations that challenge people's thinking about stuff. And uh, so it's going to be the business of pottery. So, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, uh, That's uh, due to come out very soon. Excellent. Well, I look forward to that and um, good luck with everything in regards to that, Michelle. I I know you don't need it, but um, I really am so grateful for our conversation today and thank you for being so generous and, as I said, you know, role modelling and empowering people to live a life on their terms as well through you doing so. Thank you, Michelle, for being part of the chat with me today. Oh, you're welcome, Julie. It was just a delight to chat to you. And yeah, anything that people can do, it might not be, you know, pottery like I do. It's it's anything that brings them joy. You know, start as a bit of a side hustle and give it a, um, you know, a bit of a play on the side and who knows where it can lead. But step into it, be brave and um, stop limiting yourself is all I want to leave people with. Stop limiting yourself. I love that. No expectations and look what it's allowed you to do. So amazing. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, Julie. Thank you for listening to today's episode and I trust that you enjoyed leaning into one of the precious moments shared. I invite you to leave your thoughts as a review in support of this show. You can also share with your network and even rate and review it. I would appreciate that feedback and connection. 
I'd love to connect on LinkedIn or Instagram via my handle, Julie Hyde Leads. Until next time, live and lead intentionally and make it count. Make it count.